Hello everyone and welcome back to the Regal podcast with me Jordan Lewis. Today I'm joined by Sasha Herman. So first of all, hello Sasha, welcome to the podcast. Hi Jordan, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, welcome. it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you inviting me. I'm looking forward to having a bit of a chit chat with you and we listeners. Thank you for coming. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. So would you like to start with a brief introduction to who you are and what you do? Yeah, so uh, yes, my name's Sasha. I'm from Hertfordshire. Uh, I help people that are new to property investing uh, get into property investing and create wealth uh, using very little of their own money and without having to own any properties as well. Um, so I help people in different ways. I work as a relocation agent. So I work with uh, corporate, large corporate and business companies to help accommodate their employees as I own a luxury rental service accommodation business uh, and I work with landlords to uh, help rent their properties if they're struggling with renting their properties or they're struggling with their tenants or getting rent from their tenants or just management in general I help them create more of an income than they would if they were using it as buy to let um, so a thousand plus a month with no hassles, no voids and just basically easy life. Mm -hmm. uh, and I help with people that are new to property. Like I said, I teach them what I do to get the good cash flow, but at a low entry level. Mm -hmm. That sounds fantastic. Definitely something that would appeal to a lot of people I know, including myself. So yeah, <laughs> yeah sounds really good. Um, you're also a TV presenter for a company called Zorzor. Is that correct? Yes, I work for I work for a couple of companies. I'm freelance, so I work for Zorzor um, with regards to the online shopping space, and I work for a local TV channel as well, um, doing their entertainment and their news. And um, they're currently doing a new property channel as well, so I work with them also, which I've been doing for quite a few years now. Sounds fantastic. Are you how are you finding that so far? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. I've been I've been in kind of the hosting and presenting space a long time. Um, like for about 10-15 years so yeah I, I really enjoy it and I like communicating to the audience and you know educating people on various different topics um, and just yeah just having fun. Well fantastic that's what you hear on the podcast for today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah obviously with, with Zorzor then as a TV presenter obviously you present and showcase various goods luxury goods some non-luxury goods. Yes. Um, I know that for many, and I know when I first started recording podcasts and content for my feed, it's very, very difficult, very challenging, very nerve wracking to record a video for the first time, to you know, read for a script if you have one or just come up with something ad hoc. So how do you and did you prepare yourself mentally and potentially physically before you hit record for your TV presenting? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. Presenting can be absolutely nerve-wracking. It can be traumatising for some people. I mean, some people fear public speaking or speaking on camera more than death itself. Um, but, I mean, there's, there are a few things that you can do to help prepare, um, to be confident and to be relaxed before going on camera. I mean, obviously, it does take practice. You're not just going to jump up there and, you know, be amazing straight away. I mean, you might be. It depends on how confident you are in general. Um, but a couple of things I do when I'm presenting just beforehand to get myself in the right headspace and physically as well in the right energy, it's important to be in good voice, have good voice form. So, um, well, as I've got here, I always have um, like a pint of water when I wake up mm -hmm. and I'll have a glass of water just before I start. Um, 
and I'll always have it throughout as well. Um, say you're dehydrated and you're not kind of swallowing all the time and you know, you want to feel like you're in, your throat is in good form. So that's something that I'll do. With regards to scripts, it's important to know what you're talking about, to know your product. So if I've got a script, I'll make sure that I'll read through it. Whatever time I've got, I can read scripts quite quickly, whether it's memorizing them or doing them auto cue. I make sure that I can pronounce everything and that my diction is good uh, because there's nothing worse than not knowing what you're talking about and, um, and then saying something and it doesn't come out right. So making sure that I know the product and also, it's important to be passionate about what you're talking about as well, to really kind of know the product inside and out so you can really describe it well to the audience. Um, with regards to kind of a physical state and a mental state, it's important to get yourself in good energy and have a good headspace, you know, be energetic. So make sure you've had, you've eaten, you've had water. Um, two things that I do that really help, whether I'm doing a Zoom call, whether I'm going on camera for a TV segment or whether it's a podcast or whatever it is on camera, even if it's just a live, I put on my favorite song beforehand, something that uplifts me, that makes me feel good. You know, the sort of song that just get you on that dance floor as soon as you hear it. I play that for a couple of minutes. For me personally, it's um, Earth, Wind and Fire, September. I don't know if you, you might be too young to know that, but that's one of my favorites. Um, and then I do 10 jumping jacks. Um, swear down, this is what I do. Doesn't matter where I am, I'll, you know, I'll go into the hallway or whatever, just play it on my phone, um, just to get myself upbeat and energized. Um, and the biggest thing that I would recommend for anybody, probably the most important thing, is make sure you're smiling before you press that record button. So yeah, that's my kind of pre-presenting practice as it were. Mm. They all sound fantastic. And I'm definitely a big advocate of staying hydrated, being high energy, all this sort of good stuff. And I follow yeah. a lot of that while I'm actually recording this podcast now and with my own content on my Instagram. Yes, it I'm is actually, very important. It is, it is essential because at the end of the day, like when I wasn't doing these things, I mean, if you look at my video content, even my podcast, when I first started, I was very monotone flat dry not have i didn't have much energy and it at the end of the day it came through in the content and nobody really engaged with it whereas now and, i'm able to get into that state and i think a lot of that is because when people are nervous they try and pretend to be someone that they're not and i think it's really important to just be you just be authentic you just show your personality because people can see through you otherwise you know, if you're on a podcast and like you say, if you're monotone, it's generally because either you're not passionate about what you're talking about or you're nervous or you just don't really want to be there. So if you just come on and you're energized and you're in a good headspace and you're really looking forward to what you're going to talk about, that is going to come through to your audience and you're going to feel good talking about it as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's about being the best version of you, not Definitely. the best version of someone else for sure. Yeah. Definitely, because people aren't stupid. You know, they can see through a facade. They can see if you're faking, trying to be somebody you're not, whether it's on audio or whether it's on camera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how did you learn that lesson then? How did you learn that it's more important to be the best version of yourself? Because so many people are, even if they kind of consciously know it, they're so terrified of showing their true selves in fear of being, I don't know, ridiculed or kind of ostracized online. So how did you learn that? 
to be to be honest i mean that's a really good question and i think it just comes with a lot of practice you know keep talking to people and seeing what the people um respond to and you'll find that if if you're you're going as a person that you're not especially if it's people that know you and you're trying to perceive yourself as somebody that you're not that is just going to come across as very fake and yeah. and people are not going to respond to that well but if you are just genuinely yourself whether you're a really high energy boisterous person like a puppy or whether you're kind of serious and corporate whoever you genuinely are people will respond to not everybody's going to be like you you're not you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's okay but the people that do respond to you well and do like what you're giving and what you're offering as you they're your people yeah absolutely and i think that's kind of the power of building a personal brand and being authentic and being you is yeah sure there's going to be loads of people that don't like you at the end of the day it's like friends it's like relationships yeah definitely be loads of people that don't but there's going to be a large majority that either do like you or at least a minority that do like you and resonate with you and who you are really well and yeah. the best part is it won't feel like work like me talking to you now doesn't feel like work because i'm just oh, being me we're just having a good conversation yeah whereas definitely. if i was trying to be somebody that i'm not it would be draining yeah definitely and the same with me you know if i'm trying to pretend to be someone that i'm not or pretend to be you know way more successful than i am or earning like millions of pounds more than i am you know it's people can see that they can yeah. you can find out all these things so i think it's just so important just to be you no matter who you are no matter what that means to you just well yeah absolutely agree uh, would you say then that you are more introverted or extroverted? Oh, do you know what? I'm probably a little bit of both. Mm. Um, I think when it comes to my passion, which is presenting and being on camera and communicating with people, I'm probably more of an extrovert because that's what I do and that's what I enjoy. But in different situations, say, when I'm with friends or out for dinner or something like that, I can be a little bit introverted. There is a shyness to me as well as the, the extrovert that comes out. And that's not saying that I'm not being real. It just depends on the situation I'm in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess I don't think people can be extroverted or introverted all the time. You know, I don't think that's possible. I think you can have two different sides to you. So I'm not going to be extroverted all the time even when i'm talking to different people you know you've got to have a bit of that that down energy as well as the up energy so yeah i'd say a bit of both if i'm honest yeah yeah absolutely i think most people are both uh, it's just obviously kind of more extroverted or more introverted generally speaking like i'm more extroverted but yeah. then like you there are some days where you just i'm really not in the mood to talk to people if i do i just feel more drained yeah whereas other days like today it's like the more people I talk to, the more energy I get. So therefore, yeah. I'm generally more introvert, uh, extrovert. Yeah. I think because I'm generally a very friendly person, I'm very sociable um, and, you know, I, I like people and I like listening to people's stories, that probably comes across as extroverted, but really that's just my personality and it always has been. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's, that's good. But do you think then it helps you with your video presenting whether it's on a podcast or on your video presenting freelance work do you think it helps you to be more extroverted or do you think it's just as doable and possible for an introvert i think it depends who your audience is 
And I think it depends what you're talking about because there are, your audience is everybody. You know, like I said, they're gonna respond to whatever they want to respond to. And yeah. introverts will probably respond better to introverts. Extroverts yeah. will probably respond better to extroverts. Um, you know, people tend to be attracted to their sort of people, people that are very similar to them. That's what I find anyway. Yeah. Um, because I'm such a, a social bubbly person, I'm normally attracted to social bubbly people that I can be inspired by and then learn from and people that excite me. Do you know what I mean? That sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, I get you completely. So key lesson here then is obviously have that, bring that energy, be yourself and you will attract those that are just like you. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> okay, fantastic. I will move on to the next question then. So Obviously, as you said at the very beginning, you've now moved into property. Yes. I'm curious, what made you move into this industry? Wow. Well, oh, do you want the short story or the long story? <laughs> Believe it or not, being in property was not my lifelong ambition. Um, I actually wanted to be a singer. Like I said, I was in entertainment and performing for a long time. So I bought my first property in 2008 um, as a residential home. Uh, and I had a bit of financial difficulty and I decided that I didn't want to pay all my own bills and I didn't want to pay my mortgage. So being from the entertainment background, I decided I'd, I'd wanted for a long time to work abroad and to work on ships. So that's what I decided to do. I decided to rent out my property, have somebody else pay all my bills and go and travel around the world. Um, and I did that for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, Unfortunately, a few things changed personally. My mum got very sick. Um, she had a cancer scare. So I came home. Um, and at the time, I was actually, I wanted to be a singer. That was like my biggest passion in life. It probably still is a big passion, if I'm honest. Um, but I, I'd set up like a cabaret. I had a live band. I had my own show set. But then when I got that news that my mum was ill, I just kind of packed it all in and came home um, because your family is the most important thing so all that got put on a back burner I didn't feel like seeing anymore so I had to get a job I got a job at home because I wasn't earning great money um, in entertainment you know I was just starting out probably in my early 20s um, and I didn't care that I wasn't earning good money because I loved absolutely loved what I did you know I enjoyed the lifestyle being in entertainment singing dancing it was my dream um, so when I came home, I needed to get a job because I wasn't really saving. I, I'm not, I don't save much. I'm very good at spending. That has changed now, <laughs> having grown up. Um, but yes, yeah, so I came home. I worked in London um, and I started working with a local TV network to work on some presenting things as well while I was at home. So I did some kind of news presenting, entertainment, and I got I had a very good rapport with the, with the producer of the network. So we kind of stayed in touch and everything. Uh, about a year or so later, there was an opportunity for me to go back. My mum was in a better position. Um, she, she was in remission and, you know, we thought the cancer had gone and everything like that. She kept saying to me, why don't you go back on ships? You know, this is, why don't you go back abroad? Um, this is what I loved. So. I'd got a job um, as, a, as an entertainer on cruise ships. So I worked, I worked away for a couple of, couple of years, um, just abroad in different countries. Then I moved into cruise ships as an entertainer, um, but then I still wasn't earning enough money. And then I came back home and got a job on land. So then when I thought everything was okay at home, I decided to go back, but this time because of the situation 
that I was in the first time around with my mum getting sick, I knew that if that was to happen again, I did not want to be in a position where I would need to go and work again. I wanted to be in a position where I had money set aside so I could be there and look after my mum, whatever those circumstances may bring. So I needed to find something that was going to bring that into my life to enable me to save. Now, bear in mind, I wasn't not a saver. Like, whatever money came in, it went out. Because I was young, having fun, you know, someone else was paying my mortgage and all my bills. So happy as Larry. Um, But an opportunity came up for a luxury shopping presenter on cruise ships, um, which suited me down to the ground because it mixed the presenting with the travel. I took a risk because it was commission-based, so I had no idea what I was going to earn. I was very bad at the job when I started. I'm talking terrible. And there were some amazing people in the company that were incredible presenters, incredible working with luxury brands, diamonds, gemstones. There was training, you know, we got to go to Miami, we got to go to the New York Diamond District to learn about diamonds and gemstones. So I ended up getting in that luxury space, promoting and selling diamonds and gemstones. And I ended up earning a six-figure income within the space of about two years. I did very, very well. I grew my way up that company. I became one of the top, well, sales and promoters in the company, being able to choose whatever ship I wanted, which was my goal for myself when I first started, because I was like, boy, am I rubbish at this. This is not gonna happen again. And so I said to myself, right, I'm gonna become the top presenter in this company going forward. And I pushed myself and pushed myself. I made a lot of money. Um, but then my mum got sick again. It turned out she had um, stage four terminal cancer. So I came home again. Uh, and this time in my head, I didn't think I'd be going back because the way things were, it just, it, it was like a six, six to eight month contract. You know, I was away a lot and I couldn't do that anymore. Not with my mum the way she was. However, this time I'd saved money. So I had money put aside. I had savings. I knew that I could stay at home with my mum. And to cut a long story short into the property side, slowly I went through those savings when I got home because I moved back into my flat. I started paying all my bills and everything. And I treated my mum to, you know, holidays and we went away and all the things I couldn't do when I was abroad. Um, And then COVID hit. So there was no presenting. I hadn't been working for over a year. And I thought, wow, I need to do something. I need to replace this income that is slowly dwindling down to nothing because I was looking after my mum and I was fine with that. But I needed to replace my income. So this producer that I've been working with in the TV show, um, I said to him, like, you don't do, there's nothing on property within the channel. There's lots of entertainment and politics and, and this and that. But there's so many people that want to learn about property. So why don't you do something like that? Why don't you do a couple of episodes on property investing, how to get into the property market for first timers? I said, I, you know, I can present that. But the only thing is, I didn't know that much about property at the time. Yes, I had my own place, but there was still a lot for me to learn. So I basically said, why don't you let me go and do some research in the property market and see, you know, I'll educate myself and then I will come back and we'll do this channel. So longer story shorter now, I got educated in property. The presenting thing didn't happen because of COVID, but I got so educated and so involved in the property world that during COVID that I decided 
I was going to set up a property business and I set up a short term rental business serviced accommodation. Um, Airbnb for people that aren't in the property space and don't know the terminology. I set up an Airbnb business with luxury properties because I'd been in that space. I'd stayed in lots of really nice hotels. So I knew what people wanted when they stayed away um, for corporate clients and business clients that were still working and needed a place to stay. Um, that was in the middle of the pandemic. And luckily for me, it did very well. It's been thriving ever since. And I didn't need a lot of money to get set up. Um, Unfortunately, I'd kind of gone through all my savings at that point, most of it. I had a little bit left, which was enough to invest um, and set up maybe five properties. Um, so now, because what because people have seen kind of what I've done, now I'm kind of um, accidentally helping people to do the same as what I do. Mm. So that's my story of how I got into property. <laughs> well, it sounds fantastic. You've definitely got a good reason to be in the industry. So it's not, you know, you're not just here to like money grab or anything like that. No, you're here for and, a reason. So. And this is the thing, like I was earning really good money for the first time in my life. And I was just, I never thought I could earn that sort of income. You know, little old me who was a performer and a singer on ships earning 500 pounds a month, you know, sunbathing on my days off. I just never thought I was capable of that. And when I realized that I was, I thought, well, if I can do that on cruise ships, selling diamonds and gemstones, houses cost just as much. Why can't I do it in property as well? And I, you know, I thought property has longevity. There's lots of avenues it can go down and it's something that I can build as a su sustainable career path on land because now I needed to find something on land. So yeah, yeah that's kind of how I pivoted from ships to property. <laughs> from ships to property, I like it. It's yeah. a very good story. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so obviously you. you said that you're now working in serviced accommodation for yes. the benefit of everybody at home. Would you like to just give a quick rundown of what serviced accommodation is and what is kind of included within that? So serviced accommodation, basically I rent a property from a landlord through an agent or for the landlord themselves. Then I re-rent that property to business clients, corporate clients that are staying in the area for short term or long term basis. So for people that are maybe looking for somewhere to stay if they're working, rather than getting a hotel where they would normally maybe only get a room and a, an ensuite and then they've got to pay for their food and things like that. I offer accommodation which gives them everything they would have at home. It's like a home from home experience. So they would have a kitchen where they can cook. They have a lounge area where they can enjoy. They have parking um, and they have things like, you know, Netflix and, and things like that. So I basically provide a home from home um, experience for business clients, corporate clients, even, you know, tourists and families that are going to be staying in the area. Um, and that's known as serviced accommodation. When you rent from someone, then you re-rent it out, all under legal framework and everything like that. Because I know a lot of people, they think, oh, subletting, it's illegal and things like that. If the landlord doesn't know you're doing it, yes, it's legal. Let's, it's illegal, but I run it as a company. So it's 100% legal and authentic, and it's done through all the legal framework. All above the board. Okay, cool. Yeah, all above yeah. board, completely. Makes sense. Okay, cool. Uh, does, obviously, like, as you just said, serviced accommodation is literally like everything included in one package. Yeah. Does that much. kind of add a lot more work for you to then manage and handle and keep track of all of that? Or um, I guess at the beginning, I need to obviously, like I said, I got educated. So I knew what I needed to do to set the process up. But it's basically like being at home. 
that's the way I see it because it's, I do it from a luxury perspective. So I want to put myself in the guest shoes. So I would stay at the property that I'm going to be renting out as a guest, as if I was a guest and yeah. think, okay, what do I need? What do I need to cook? What do I need? You know, so I provide toiletries and, you know, a full equipped kitchen. Um, and I just think, what would someone need if they're staying at a property away from home? It could be up to six months, you know, yeah. so they need to have those things that are going to keep them there long term. So, yeah, it what once it's all in place in the beginning, then it's just a matter of, of keeping it maintained. I have a really good cleaning team and it gets professionally cleaned once a week and, you know, things get checked um, and then I just buy things and add things. But pretty much it's just set it up and then just maintain it as things go along. But once it's set up, it's pretty easy to kind of rinse and repeat. Mm. Yeah, fair enough then. So is it almost like a passive income or mostly passive income now? Do you know what? I know a lot of people would say it's a passive income and it can be once you're set up and you're really good at what you're doing and um, you've got all your systems and your operations in place, which I'm pretty much down with now, you can make it a passive income, but it is still work right at the beginning because it's not completely hands-off. It can be if you want to outsource all the day-to-day -day stuff to a management agent or to a virtual assistant that deals with all of that, it can be passive, but then you're losing obviously some of your profits, but then you've got your time back. But if like me, I had so much time we were in the middle of a pandemic i couldn't do viewings i couldn't do anything so i had all the time to do the setup and to make sure i had my systems my operations and things in place um, to get the foundations down and then i knew once i had it running for three months four months five months and i knew where i was at then i could just rinse and repeat that process with other landlords to help them make more money from their properties and provide accommodation for people looking whilst helping new property investors to implement the same strategy using mm. hardly any money. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Uh, how much money, if you don't mind answering That's anyway, okay. how much money did it initially take you to get into this industry? This particular strategy is a low entry level strategy and this is something people don't realize is people think they need to invest in property they need thousands and thousands of pounds to buy a home they need deposit money whereas you don't with service accommodation you can get in between five to ten thousand pound max um it's took me less than five thousand pounds to set up this property and it's been bringing me an income in ever since um you know i took a risk i didn't know if it's going to work but I wasn't really doing anything else at the time apart from going through all my savings. So, um, yeah, but you less than five thousand pounds, I'd say you need to set up to set up the property itself. The, the money that you would probably need beforehand, uh, and I'm going to be completely transparent, is to invest in yourself to learn how to do what you're doing. Same with any job. You're going to do some training, whether that's free training, whether it's paid training, um, you need to invest in yourself to learn the trade that you're about to do. Yeah. On the note of learning, how did you go about learning what you know about the property industry, real estate industry and serviced accommodation? Oh, that's a good question. I did a few different things. I used different various platforms. I went to free courses. I read books. I listened to different podcasts. Um, but it's very easy to kind of have analysis paralysis where you're getting so much information and it becomes overwhelming. So I did a one year mentorship with Progressive Property, um, Rob Moore and Mark Homer's company. 
Um, so I've been working with them, which has been great for networking and meeting people in the industry that are already doing what I'm doing, um, which was amazing. And then for service accommodation in particular, I worked with another company, um, Assets for Life, um, and I did a three-day course with them that basically taught me everything I needed to know that got me prepared to set up what I've just done over the last year. On top of still doing, listening to podcasts with mentors that are way ahead of me um, and, you know, earning loads, loads more money than me. I like to, I like to learn and listen for people that are where I want to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say to people to, to get educated, you need to learn how you like to learn. If you're a visual person, go to seminars and things like that, watch videos. If you're um, an audio person, listen to podcasts. I mean, I've got so much into listening to podcasts now because it's very personal. And you know, you can just take those people with you wherever you are, whether you're running, whether you're in the bath, cleaning the house, whatever you're doing. Um, but find, take your time, you know, don't, don't just jump into different things. So many people jump into the shiny penny syndrome where you hear this amazing course that's going on with this amazing trainer. If I could do it all again, I would probably speak to people that have already done their training, find out who they did it with, what success they got from it, look at reviews and, and just, you know, really do my due diligence. Um, but I'm really happy with who I trained with, the different people, because, you know, they're way, way ahead in their fields. And I've learned a lot from, from all of the people I've learned from. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of Rob Moore. I know you recommended, uh, rec recommended him to me when we first spoke, actually. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, cool. Thank you for that. Um, next question then. So, as you mentioned, you offer temporary luxury homes for travellers up to six months. And using the term luxury, especially obviously with property, can put a lot of pressure on brands to kind of deliver certain standards and certain levels of quality. Yep. What, what steps do you take within your properties and within your life potentially to meet this standard and differentiate your properties from a standard home? Oof. Okay. Well, I think, like I said, from... A luxury perspective I like to put myself in the guest's shoes and I like to stay in that property and think what would I want as a guest in this property and because I've obviously I've stayed in hotels and I've stayed in places that just they don't cut standard you know you want nice things so I like to think of the interior design I like colors that pop that are bright that are fun that stand out I want to make sure something as simple as having really good mattresses in the property because you want your guests to have a really good night's sleep and that's really really important as well um, you know you're not going to give your guests subpar mattresses just because they're staying away from home they want the same experience as if they was at home in their really nice beds yeah. um, so things like that you know good good mattresses making sure they've got their toiletries making sure you provide things like you know netflix for free um, and just all these all these different things that make up kind of a luxury space for someone. Mm -hmm. So it feels like you've put the time, the money, the energy into figuring out what exactly they yeah. need. Yeah, so it feels like they're almost staying at home, but at a higher level. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes, makes a lot of sense, to be fair. Um, okay, yeah. Is there anything you would uh, like recommend avoid doing if you're trying to build a luxury home, trying to build that luxury feel? Is there anything you'd avoid like, putting in or... Um, 
I think it's kind of personal preference. And I think you've got to think from the guest perspective as well. Um, it's, it's good to keep things kind of minimalistic because yeah. luxury doesn't have to be, you know, really bold and bullshit. It can just be clean, simple lines, modern, um, but just something that's really inviting and homely. So one thing that is, is kind of important when you're like dressing a property is try not to dress it as if it's your own home. Mm-hmm. That's something a lot of people fall into is that you furnish it with these plush rugs and, you know, velvet sofas and the things you would put in your own home when that's not really needed for people that are staying away. And from a cleaner's perspective as well, to kind of try uh-huh. and hoover a plush rug and or if you've got pets staying, um, to keep things to a good standard, but it doesn't have to be to the point where you would completely do your own home. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's something that I... I got stuck in that rut at first because I like nice things in my house. So when I try and turn somebody else's house into a home for other people, yeah. I kind of went down the same route. But then people were saying to me, Sasha, you don't need to do that. You don't need to provide this. You don't need to provide this, you know, big rug type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you just got to be careful that you are providing the service based on what your market, what your target client is basically and what, they would be looking for because they're not looking for everything you know yeah absolutely so don't go too far down that rabbit hole and flutter it with everything yeah okay yeah cool that makes a lot of sense and you mentioned like having pets and i know there's quite a few you know people in the service accommodation property generally maybe they don't allow children or they don't allow pets just because of potential damage do you would then allow children and pets and does it come with like that increased risk and if so how do you kind of mitigate that personally i don't tend to allow pets um which is a little bit contradictory because i love pets i love dogs more than people themselves but i also know what they can do to a house so from a business perspective to have dogs running all over the furniture scratching it jumping on the beds that is going a lot of work and a lot of money um, for the cleaners and for potentially damage and things like that. And I know that from having lots of dogs throughout my life, seeing them scratch the furniture up. This isn't furniture that's in your home. You know, this is for people and you've got people coming, changing maybe every week. Yeah. So, um, but uh, that's not to say that you shouldn't have pets. I just think if you're going to maybe have a larger deposit to cover that, um, maybe have a higher cleaning fee to cover that, and it also depends on your area because you've got a lot of tourist areas and beach beach holiday areas where people are going to have pets because more and more people want to bring their pets with them on holiday. And to be honest, it's something I'm even considering allowing now as well, based on the, the past situation that we're in with the pandemic and COVID. I know people want to go away with their pets and their dogs. And especially if they can't go abroad, um, it's hard for people to find places with pets. So um, officially my place doesn't allow pets or dogs just because I know the sort of furniture I've got in there and I know what it'd be to mess it up. But, you know, there there will be exceptions. If someone comes to me and they've got the most well-behaved dog and I would just put prices up more with regards to damage deposit and cleaning fee, Um, not because, you know, I'm trying to be mean, but because I know that even if you have got the most well-behaved dog in the world, they still can cause damage, which can still cost hundreds of pounds. Um, 
And with regards to children, because my contract is mainly, sorry, my market's maybe contractors, I don't really have property set up for young children, as in stair gates and high chairs and things like that. Um, so it's not usually a property that many children will come to because of the area as well. There's not a great deal for children. Yeah. But again, that's just where my property is. That's just what my market's about. Mm -hmm. um, and from a safety perspective as well, I've got stairs. So if there was a one-year-old, there's no stair gate for them um, oh. because that's just not what the client market is catered towards for yeah. my particular units. But it's not to say that it would never be open to that. And I know lots of people do have children because that's their market, tourists, holidaymakers. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it's different for everybody. Yeah, that makes sense. You definitely need to know who your target customer is yeah. to appeal to them. Because if you try and appeal to everybody, you won't appeal to anybody because like contractors, like exactly. you said, they don't want to go to a property that's just full of like baby strollers and baby gates because yeah. it's going to get in their way. So, And also with pets, some people have really bad allergies. So yeah. I could let the most well-behaved, cutest dog in for the week, the but then the next season. person staying, they could get seriously ill from, from being allergic to dogs, yeah. for all I know. So I've got to be very careful of that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, then last question with this. Um, do you prefer, for business reasons, do you prefer long or short-term people like staying at your property? Long-term. Long anybody in service accommodation is going to say long term um, because you've got that security you know you know you've got people that are in there you get to know them they've got somewhere to stay um, for the for the whole of their project um, you know you've got an income coming in um, same as having like a normal nine to five job employed you know you get paid each month if you've got long-term guests then you've got that security of the income coming in which is great because it's your business um, not everybody that books for long term, they may not always stay long term, depending if they they may their project may change. Um, they may have a problem with your property. So it's nothing's guaranteed. Um, I would always say long term over short term because it's peace of mind at the end of the day. It's peace of mind and it's security. But things change. Yeah, that's fair enough. And do you find that you've actually been getting more or less long term contracts? while like covid lockdown has been happening since covid i've had longer term bookings i've been very fortunate um the hotels were closed so there was really nowhere else for people to go so it was a very attractive proposition um and my my clients were working in the area for long periods of time they may start for a week but then it turns out the project is five months long so i would extend them for the length of time that they're staying for so yeah, it's been it's been long term for me personally, which has been great. It's been a great way to get into the business. Maybe not the most realistic or normal way um, for some people, but I've experienced it from a high right from the off. Yeah. So now anything that happens going forward from a low perspective, if bookings start to dry up or if I get shorter term bookings, that's all going to be a learning curve for me, um, right, which okay. is part and part of the industry as well yeah well it's always good to have a challenge always good to start learning something new so yeah nothing's going to be perfect in business no, you know no. there's always going to be things and obstacles and challenges thrown in your way but i knew that when i started and you know i like a challenge so Absolutely. um i wouldn't have got into it if i thought everything was going to be roses and fairies and you know no problems whatsoever you, you deal with things as they come up 
yeah absolutely well i wish you the best of luck with the rest of that then thanks okay cool uh next question then you are a big fan of networking after all we did meet for a mutual facebook group the high net connect i believe it's now called fantastic group. indeed everybody yeah. should definitely try and join that oh they're awesome um, i love that group how do you prepare to make sure that you make a great first impression, whether you're having a Zoom meeting for the first time or an in-person meeting or just like a networking event? Oh, OK. Um, I guess it depends what the event is. I, it's important to go to any event with a purpose, whether it's a Zoom meeting, you know, whether it's a networking event in person. So it's important to know why you're going you know, whether you're going just to mingle and meet some new people, whether you want to increase reach for your business or your brand or, you know, just in general. Um, so again, I go back to saying, just be yourself. Don't try to pretend to be somebody that you're not because first impressions count. I mean, it takes, I don't know, 10 to 30 seconds for somebody to make a first impression of you. Um, and people aren't silly. You know, like I said, they can see if you're being fake towards them um, and one thing I say with first impressions when you're first meeting people is is listen to the person that you're talking to don't talk about yourself the whole don't ramble yeah. you know find out their story see if there's somebody you can really connect with if there's some maybe um, potential for collaboration if there's somebody you might want to work with later down the line somebody that you think would make a really good friend you know if you've got things in common so um, shut up and listen to the people that you're you're connecting with, basically. Um, I think it's important to make sure you're well presented and look good, whether that's smart, whether that's casual, whatever your personal style is, because if you look good, you feel good. And if you feel good, you're gonna perform better. You know, you're gonna feel better in front of that person. And I think it's just as important to present yourself well on Zoom now more than ever, especially as we're kind of going into that huge digital age since covid i mean some people i think prefer it because you haven't got to travel miles away if there's a meeting yeah. in the north or whatever you can just jump on your camera yeah. so first impressions i think are just as important online as they are in person these days do, do you do you agree with that yeah absolutely the first impression no matter where you are even if it's on the phone you know you can't physically see someone but no. they can hear from your tonality the way you're speaking yeah definitely be, you're being insincere so absolutely it's like I mean I believe it's actually in the first like quarter of a second when somebody can see you when they're looking at your body language they make an unconscious subconscious even a quarter of a second a quarter of a second they make that first impression in their heads that is um, a very small amount of time <laughs> now obviously you have you have a few more seconds then to kind of you know make a good second impression and you can then shift that first impression but it's why if you walk down the street and you see somebody with their hood up and maybe they've got like their mask on as well and they're all dressed in black yeah maybe you'll walk on the other side of the road of it's like sadly time. probably yeah exactly like not everybody i mean obviously using that example you can kind of see why but yeah maybe you don't think that consciously when you're walking down the street but then subconsciously in that quarter of a second you glance over you're making that decision to cross the road or you're making that decision of this is somebody i can do business with or not yeah. do business with so and this is why suits are so powerful doesn't necessarily mean a suit suit but just a power suit something that makes you feel confident happy um like you just and kind of it's said. um it's a known statistic that blue is a power color 
if you want to make a, a good first impression like a nice royal blue i mean yeah. this is my favorite color anyway but yeah. um yeah blue if if for a woman a blue dress for a man a blue suit yeah. i don't know if you've noticed with different videos and different events there was a lot of people that wear blue and that's a conscious decision because generally i know it might sound silly but generally people that wear a blue suit or a blue dress people buy from more people yeah. trust more and yeah. people are more successful um yeah, absolutely blue is blue is a worthiness so that's why i mean if you see politicians they'll either generally wear a red tie or a blue tie yeah yeah it's, so it's very interesting it's crazy isn't it yeah <laughs> okay cool um so do you then prefer in-person meetings or do you prefer zoom calls i think oof, now i think i prefer to meet people in person because obviously recording this podcast we're you know mid 2021 we've just had a pandemic so we've been on zoom a long time which has been great, but I, you really can't get that proper connection unless you're face to face with someone, I personally feel. And yeah. I miss that connection. Being from an entertainment background, working with loads of people all the time and, and being in the space of a lot of people to just being by myself in my house, you know, with, with my computer, talking to people has been great. Mm -hmm. But from a personal perspective, I like meeting people. Yeah. <laughs> and I miss it and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I personally find when you're meeting in person, it's so easy to match energy. And obviously matching energy is kind of key to building rapport. Whereas yeah. on a computer, it's like, what am I going to match my energy with a screen? Like it's very, very difficult to do. So you kind of have to think about it more. Definitely. Um, it, is hard, it is harder to um, exude that type of energy on a Zoom call. I mean, Personally, I think I'm the same on Zoom or in person. <laughs> I have the same kind of energy. Um, that's just how I am. But, you know, everyone's different. And some people just, they just don't like sitting in front of their computer in their living room. You know, it's just not the same feel. And you don't think, you don't always get the same results either. I think if you're on a Zoom call, especially if there's lots and lots of people, sometimes that yeah. can be... You know, I think there's something being said for Zoom calls where you've got tons of people like on a mastermind and you really can't get to know those people. You might be in breakout rooms and things like that. But if you're in person and you've got that same amount of people, then you can network, you can walk around, you can talk to all these people and make instant decisions, yeah. whether you like them or not, whether you want to yeah. stay connected. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because like, especially like with the first impressions element, if you're on a Zoom call, for all you know, the person could be sitting in their pajama bottoms and it's like, <laughs> are they making that good impression? You don't know. Do you know what, though? I'm not going to lie. That is one thing that I have enjoyed. And I think <laughs> many people have been in a lot less than their pajama bottoms and like a nice suit or a nice blouse. Yeah. I've because, been guilty of it a few times. Because you can. Yeah. Um, and especially with Clubhouse. I mean, oh, my goodness. You don't even have to wear anything with Clubhouse. You just rock yeah. up, turn yeah. it on. That's like a whole new revelation, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, about yeah. I know week. a few people that use Clubhouse while they were in the bath, while they were yeah. just chilling in bed. So, yeah, it's yeah. the easiest way to communicate, isn't it, really? You yeah. haven't, there's no airs and graces. You haven't got to get dressed. You haven't got to do your makeup. You haven't got to do your hair. Yeah. Um, I loved it for a long, long time. But now I'm kind of going back into, oh, I miss meeting people face to face. I miss making yeah. friends. I miss connecting, you know? Yeah, same. I would rather have to put the effort in 
and then be able to meet people in person it's definitely worth the sacrifice if you want to call it a sacrifice yeah definitely definitely 100 percent do you think then that we're going to see a transition back to more in-person meetings post-COVID or do you think it's going to continue with this trend of more Zoom meetings, more remote working potentially? I think that times have changed now and I would like to think that we will go back to the networking. Um, but sadly, I think the majority now is going to be online. I think businesses are going to be trying to stay online because it saves money. It saves money on hiring out space, you know, on overheads and things like that. Um, so it could go any way, I feel. It could go, it could go either way. And I think in some respects it's great because I know in the winter time, if there's a networking event in London and I'm just I, I don't want to go through the weather, I don't want to get a train. If there was the opportunity to do it online like a year ago, a hundred percent I would have done that. A hundred percent. So I think it depends on, you know, whether it's summer, whether it's winter, you know, if you've just got home from work. I think it can really, really appeal to some people, um, especially if you're in the South and there's a huge event going on in the North that you just cannot get to, or it's going to be super expensive, but you've got the option to go online and pay a couple of hundred pounds, or even if it's for free, that is so appealing to people, um, yeah. myself included, but I will always go for in-person over online as much as I can now going forward. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And I think generally we are seeing a massive trend towards convenience. It's why things yeah. like Uber exists. It's why Airbnb exists. It's, definitely. It's that kind of trend we're going towards. So. Yeah, definitely. And it'll be interesting to see how that pans out, actually. It will be interesting to see because I know certain events that I'm part of um, with the property space, they're slowly bringing back in-person events, but still not quite the same. Still social distancing. You can still only be around a certain amount of people at a certain table. You can't stand up and network. That's yeah. the whole point of going to a networking yeah. event. About flexibility, yeah. So if that continues, then I think there will be less and less people at these events because yeah. it takes away the reason you're going. Yeah, yeah absolutely agree. So... Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, won't it? It will be, yeah. I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing where it'll go. But like I say, like I'm kind of like you. I hope it moves back more towards in-person meetings. But oh, yeah. Will or not, we'll have to I, see. I can't wait to, to go out and network again with people. Yeah. Not even networking, just seeing people, just seeing people in yeah. person. You know, friends, family, people that you... I think one thing that is really is exciting is the people you've been speaking to online for over a year on yeah. zoom calls in whatsapp groups you yeah. know in masterminds with different finally, meeting <laughs> finally getting to meet yeah because yeah. you've built these friendships up yeah. through this digital space through online networking so to actually be able to meet with people real life is great and i'm looking forward to it because i've met loads and loads of people with different property masterminds and different mentorships that i've been part of and there's yeah. so many people i'm looking forward to seeing all up and down the country yeah fantastic you've got a lot of traveling to do then <laughs> yeah and luckily i'm in a position where i work for myself so, so i'm yeah. training myself to yeah to work remotely and that's another great thing about doing what i do is that i run my own schedule you know i run my own life yeah. so as long as i'm doing what i need to do and i'm doing it well then i can travel and i can go in and do these things because i'm not tied down in a, and if anybody this. wants to visit you they could always stay in your accommodations and you can <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> 
Okay, fantastic. Uh, so moving on now to your dating life. And I know you oh. were kind of dreading these last couple oh, of questions. <laughs> so you're obviously a very busy person. Like, I know you said, obviously, you can kind of select when you work, when you don't. You've got a pretty free schedule. But you do work a lot and you do work very hard. I do, yeah. I mean, I do have a free schedule, but I work for different companies and different yeah. things. So I'm still busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you say, obviously, you're running your service accommodations. You're doing freelance work. You're networking with people. You've got a lot on your plate yeah and well many many potential partners like from my experience obviously I assume from your experience aren't necessarily compatible with such a busy lifestyle or such an ambitious career path so when you're dating or dating currently what are some big red flags that you kind of look out for in potential partners that signify to you that somebody isn't right for this kind of lifestyle or schedule I think there's just there's one main red flag and that is neediness and clinginess. So if I'm chatting to someone that I don't know, that I'm potentially looking to meet or date and, you know, you start off with texting, but then if I don't message back, they'll message straight away. Are you busy? What's wrong? Why are you not getting back to me? Um, even though I've said, you know, I've got a business and I do this and this, they don't get it and they just think of themselves and, and, and think, oh, you know, what's wrong? Why? I just, no, I can't, I can't deal with that. They have to respect, there has to be a respect of time and, you know, and everyone values their time. So if someone's not a priority to me, if I don't know them yet, they're not going to be the first people that I go back to in messaging. And if I do like them and I do want to connect, then I will message, but it's still going to be when I'm free. Yeah. Um, and I have had instances in the past where I've connected with somebody and then we've, we've gone to WhatsApp and started chatting. And initially they're pretty cool and collected and it's just nice and easy back and forth. But then if I get really busy and I just genuinely don't have time to get back to someone or arrange a date in a short amount of time, then I get a succession of messages. You know, I really want to meet you and, and why are you not getting back to me? And are you busy? And I'm, no, can't do it. <laughs> Too much. So, yeah. yeah, bye, Felicia. Computer says no. <laughs> <laughs> Have you found that this neediness as you've kind of got older has become less common or more common? More common. <laughs> more. That's interesting. I think, yeah. Um, it's interesting. It is interesting, actually. I think because, maybe because of what I do and because I, you know, I run my own business and I'm successful in running my own business and I do different things, it interests people. Uh, and I don't always tell people how much I do, um, but I guess, it, I guess it's also an attraction thing as well. If someone's really attracted to you, then it's normal. They're going to message you. You know, they're, they're going to want to stay in contact and have that connection and, and try and arrange something. Um, but I get, uh, I guess, bored quite easily. I lose interest quite easily. <laughs> so if someone doesn't keep my interest for long enough, I mean, I like someone to have the same ambition level as me, to yeah. be entrepreneurial, to to know where they're going in life and what they want to do. And, and that sort of person is going to keep me interested in wanting to message them. Do you know, wanting to stay in contact, not necessarily be needy, but showing an interest um, and maybe making a connection sooner rather than if they're just not really doing much during the day and they've got all the time in the world to message. 
Um, and to be fair, when I was on ships, it was different because everybody was working their ass off. They were so busy. No one had time for messages. Everyone knew when they were going to meet up at the end of the day after work at 12 o'clock. Um, so being on land and being on ships anyway is very different when it comes to connecting with people. Um, but in regards to your question, the neediness has pretty much stayed the same through my life <laughs> that could be my problem it could be something i'm doing wrong maybe i'm um maybe i'm giving out those signals to be needy i don't know <laughs> i try not to <laughs> oh, interesting. i thought it would decrease as age went on because i mean like, obviously i'm like 21 now and like through my dating life i've you know i've met a lot of needy women and like even those that i haven't been interested in dating and then in other relationships, I see a lot of you know, needy women, needy men. It's just everywhere. And I assume that as you get older, it would kind of then phase out and everybody would kind of mellow out a bit as you get a job and other responsibilities. But, well, it's not looking very hopeful. <laughs> but you're, you're very mature for your age. Like when you said you were 21, I was like, oh, my goodness, you're very mature for your years. Um, not all 21-year-olds are like that. And um, men, let's, how to put this? without being condescending or anything men seem to stay in a, a state of mind whether they're 20 or whether they're 30 um there's not a great deal that tends to change when it comes to um connecting with women you know there's always going to be that urge there's always going to be that need that doesn't really um differ much as yeah. as they get older mm, is what i've enough. noticed maybe it probably gets worse <laughs> well i suppose yeah i suppose especially if they're in a position where maybe they've been longer without having a successful relationship yeah exactly maybe. and and not like desperate for one but maybe they've really got that real urge to find someone that they really want to like settle down with and have a yeah. family and if they if that's not happened in their life yet or they've had a lot of um you know unsuccessful relationships then they're gonna feel like almost like time's running out you know i'm getting to this age where i need to i need to meet someone i need to have kids i need to have a family so that need can almost be you know accentuated if as it were yeah that makes a lot of sense so what would your advice be then for a man or a woman anybody who is looking to date somebody successful somebody ambitious somebody driven somebody busy just chill out <laughs> just chill that out um yeah i think you know you need to try different things sometimes you'll date someone and you what i find is you could date someone that are not right for you in the slightest i've date several people that are not right for you me in the slightest for different reasons but then you're attracted to the same sort of people whether it's because of how they've treated you or whether you just like you know that excitement whatever it is they give you you're attracted to those people so i think it's important to make a change if yeah. something hasn't been working then try something different and if you're looking I, th I think if you're looking for someone successful you need to be that high quality person within yourself you need to love yourself first you need to respect yourself first to attract that man or woman into your life that's right for you and I think once you are whole as a person and you know where you're going and you know what you're worth, you know what your value is, you're going to attract that partner into your life. Yeah, absolutely. We're back to that. You attract what you are 
basically. Yes. So if you're high Definitely. quality, you look after yourself, you've, you've got ambition, you're going to attract that kind of person. Yeah. And, and on the other side, I know, I know women that are very successful, very successful, very beautiful, but they don't value themselves enough. So when they meet men, those men don't value them either. No matter what they're doing, no matter how successful, no matter how much money they're earning, if if they have little value of themselves, um, that's going to come across to the guys and they're going to treat them as such. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't love yourself, if you don't value yourself, how is anybody else going to? Exactly. Nobody is going to value you yourself more than you. No. They're too and busy I, valuing themselves. <laughs> exactly. And I've learned that through experiences most of my experiences have been on cruise ships which has been difficult but it's taught me that I'm worth so much more than what I've been subjected to with other relationships or how I've been treated but you learn you learn from every relationship you break up from you learn more about that person and you learn more about yourself and it teaches you to be a stronger person ready for your next encounter next relationship yeah always learning fantastic yeah Okay, so for the entrepreneurial types out there who obviously have a very busy schedule, who maybe are in the start of their business journey and they're you know, putting in a lot of hours to make something work, to build a business, to build their empire, do you think, generally speaking, they should still go out dating once a week? Do you think they should just stay away from dating for the time being? Or do you think they should just wait for something to happen naturally if it does? Oh, that's a good question. Um... I think you need to have a balance of a business life and a personal life. So I think if you're in a place where you want to date and you want to meet someone, then there is nothing wrong with making the time to do that. Um, obviously, if you are setting up, I mean, for me personally, when I was setting up my business, um, I didn't want to concentrate on anything else. I didn't have time to give my energy or my mind space to another person to build a relationship. I was also looking after my mum at the same time, who was very, very sick. So you need to know where your priorities lie. If you're the sort of person that can balance both, then great, you know, I don't think there's one rule for one person, another rule. I think it's different for everybody. But for me personally, I'd never built a business before. I'd always been an employee. I'd been in, of an employee mindset. So, I didn't know any difference. So when I focused on my business, I was like, okay, I need to focus on this. I, I haven't got time for anything else. But also I did do it in the middle of a pandemic. So I couldn't date someone if I, if I even wanted to, mm -hmm. <laughs> which was probably lucky because had I not had it not been in the middle of the pandemic, I may not have even done it at all. It may not have even happened. Mm -hmm. You know, everything happens for a reason. Um, but if I think if you're the sort of person that, knows that you can put a time aside to build your business whether it's you know a couple of hours each day and then you still have a personal life that can maybe accentuate how you are in your business because if you're dating someone and you're happy then you're going to have more energy and feel more vibrant when you're building your business if that makes sense yeah whereas right. if you have nothing else in your life other than work that can make you a very lonely sad person sometimes yeah very true very true it's important to have something else to actually make yeah. the work that you're doing worth it and i think when with regards to letting things come naturally into i think for me it's about my interests and my hobbies like i love salsa dancing and i love things like that dancing and you know so these things that i go to anyway i'm likely to meet people that have the same interests in me 
Yeah. Um, so if I meet somebody that I want to date, then great. At least I know we have something in common yeah. rather than actively going out and looking for it, which can be an absolute minefield yeah. and very demoralizing for a lot of people um, because, you know, you're just like a ball in a china shop. You never know what you're going to knock off and where it's all going to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So on to then the second part of my dating questions. So you obviously, as you've said, you used to work on a cruise ship. I did. And first of all, what sort of thing were you doing on this during this time? I know you said you were like a singer, entertainer, dancer, and then you moved into like luxury shopping. Is that kind of what you spent most of your days doing? Yes. Yeah, so I was an entertainer for many years, singer, dancer. It was only the last three years that I went into the luxury brand space. Um, and that was a much higher level of what I was previously doing like I was in I was in my early 20s I was having fun but I was building up to be a singer um, and obviously that all kind of changed uh, when I came home yeah. and then the the opportunity came up to to do this presenting like a, being a tv presenter on ships in luxury brands and I just thought I could not think of anything better that I'd want to do right now um, and it just turned out to be incredible. I learned so much from the company that I worked with, Onboard Media. The people around me were so influential um, and just amazing human beings. And I think if I hadn't have had that experience, it wouldn't have given me the confidence, the knowledge to do all the things that I've done since I came back from ships, even though my plan hadn't been to come back okay. for yeah. a while. Fantastic. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what were you kind of doing then when you weren't working on those cruise ships? How were you spending your free time? Uh, what free time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. We, I didn't get a lot of free time. When I was in entertainment, it was different. Okay, back years and years ago, when I, when I was an entertainer in a team, um, I had a lot more free time. So I would go to the beach um, and we'd go on day trips. I, I went skydiving in Honolulu and I swam with the dolphins in Mexico. I had some amazing, amazing experiences. Um, between 2008 and I guess 2011, 12, something like that. When I went as a, a shopping brand presenter, I was working all the time because I was working on sea days. I was working on port days. They were the days that I would take my guests shopping. I was their VIP shopping consultant, um, but I was earning good money. And I'd seen a lot of the world by the time I got to that place. So I wasn't doing it for the world anymore. I was doing it to earn money to save so I could potentially look after my mum if I needed to come back at any point, which I did, sadly. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, I didn't really have free time. The only free time would be when I finished work, which could be 12 in the morning, one in the morning. But then there was a crew bar that all the crew went to which was amazing. I could do like a whole podcast on that. <laughs> um, and that's what we did in our free time. It wasn't like on land. We had one place to go, which was the crew bar. Generally passenger areas we weren't usually allowed in, depending on our job. I was, I had a, a high status job. So I was allowed wherever I wanted to go. Um, but generally, as a rule, crew members went to the crew bar after work to have some drinks. That's where we partied. On deck, there'd be parties. It was just a lot of drinking and partying, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> that was <laughs> quite great, nice. It was a great lifestyle. I'm not going to lie. It was great, but it was a bubble. It was a safe yeah. bubble. And when you come home, that bubble is burst. <laughs> yeah. And you never quite get it out of your system. Yeah, I can imagine. 
Yeah. So obviously during this time, I assume you were still dating. I know you mentioned that you were kind of dating on the cruise ships more than you are now. So what was kind of the key differences then between dating when you were on a cruise ship and dating now when you're obviously back on land? Um, so, well, phew. dating on cruise ships is very different to dating on land because like I said, you're in this bubble and the difference, one of the differences is when you're on a cruise ship, you're, you see the same sort of people all the time. So you might meet somebody in your line of work, in your department. And even though the ships are huge, um, the, uh, the, the crew community is quite tight-knit and small. So if you're dating somebody, if you're going out with somebody on a ship and maybe you don't want to see them again, there's no chance of that. They're going to be around. You're going to see them the next day, most likely. So you have to make a decision pretty quick. <laughs> and decide you know to be friends or you know whatever it's going to be on land you've got the whole cat and mouse chase you meet someone then you go back and forth with the texting and then you might go out and then you wait another three days for them to contact you before you it's so um drawn out it's drawn out and it, it bores me a little bit because that's just not what i'm used to anymore because it's such a tight-knit community you a relationship on a ship, say, I don't know, three weeks can feel like three months on land. That's what it's like because you're generally with that person a lot. You see them all the time. And I actually prefer it. I prefer dating on ships because you get to know someone a lot quicker. You get to um, form a friendship with somebody a lot quicker, which then you can decide if you want to go into a relationship with them. Um, Whereas on land, it's a little bit different. When you're dating, you're dating generally for that reason, to get into a relationship. And I think a lot of people forget you you need to be friends first. You need to have a connection and grow that connection because most relationships that actually work out, they were friends first. They had something in common before they got into a relationship. You know, like on ships, you might get into a relationship for six months. Um, but you were never friends first <laughs> and then your contract finishes and either the relationship ends or you try and make it work by going on the same ship as each other or you come back on land together and try and make it work it's just trying to make a relationship work on ships is a lot harder it's easier to get into a relationship and it's much much easier to get to know someone at a quicker level but it's easier to withhold a relationship on land because generally they're in the same country as you yeah. and you can see them yeah. whenever you want. Um, so yeah, I'd say they are the basic <laughs> differences, but big differences mm -hmm. is, yeah, it's, it's easier to get to know somebody on a ship and, and get that relationship formed, but not always easy to sustain it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something really important that you touched on is you need to have things in common outside of the relationship. Yeah. Because there are so many people like on land that get in a relationship and the only thing they have in common is that they both want to be in a relationship. And it's like, okay, well, you have yeah. that in common with literally anybody who wants to date. So it's not really something you have in common, is it? It's, yeah. it's just the state that you're in in that point. And so, sometimes on ships, people get into a relationship for the sake of it just purely yeah. because 
they work so hard. I mean, don't get me wrong, we have a lot of fun, but we work so hard um, on shit. So it's like, what else is there to do? You need you need that side of your life to keep you sane, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to keep you enjoying yourself away from work. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, like I said, I could do a whole episode on cruise ships and dating and that sort of thing. It's it's a, it's a minefield, but it's it's interesting and it's fun. Yeah, absolutely, it sounds it. So, um, does, how does date it like dates actually work on a cruise ship then? Because obviously you can't take them to a restaurant. Well, <laughs> date it. You don't really have dates as such. I mean. Okay, if, um, so for example, when I was in entertainment, I went, I met someone on the first, my first ship on my first day, we were together three years, because we were in the same team. So we worked together. And if we had days off, it would be going to the local bar, because you go to a port, the first thing you want to find is good Wi Fi, food and drink. So it'd always be about going to a bar. Um, on, on a ship, you, there's restaurants. There are restaurants because the passengers obviously have to eat. Yeah. So occasionally we can book to go to a restaurant. Uh, it's not okay. easy, but you can do it depending on what job you have. Um, but really, it's more just kind of hooking up and staying together for that period of time. It's the dating <laughs> isn't really a thing. Yeah. Like you haven't got all these places to go to like you do on land. You can't go into London. Like you can meet in that we call it the crew mess is where we go and eat. You can meet in the crew mess to have your dinner or have some lunch. Or you can meet. You can meet. (laughs) Most mostly you would meet in the crew bar and have a couple of drinks. There's a lot of parties that happen on ships. A lot of events that happen on ships. That's how you meet people, and that's where your dates tend to happen, or just in your cabin. A lot of people would just have cheese and wine nights in their cabin. Um, that would be classed as a date, I suppose. But it's not the normal thing you do at home. You yeah. go out. Yeah. So, yeah, like, like I wouldn't really class dating on ships as dating. Okay. It's, it's just it's, a different world. It's a different world completely. But it's an amazing world and one that I wouldn't have changed for the world. But it's taught me a lot about relationships. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Um, and is there ever going to be a day that you go back onto ships in the future? Do you know what? Ships has been a huge part of my life and I loved what I did and I would never say never. Um, I was invited back uh, about a month ago yeah. doing what I did previously, but um, it's not the right time for me to go back now. There's still a lot more I want to do in my business and my career. Um, but never say never. I, there is a chance I would go back at some point um, to do something maybe not for the amount of time that i did before maybe not for six to eight months i don't think that would be feasible or viable considering i've got a a business now um but one thing i've never done i've never been on a cruise ship as a passenger or as a guest so i would love to go back on for holiday so yeah yeah, i guess i would go back okay interesting on holiday (laughs) interesting that you've never been on one as a guest but obviously you've spent a a lot of your life on a cruise ship yeah Yeah, I've been very lucky. Uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of the world and I've seen it from a, a crew member perspective, but I would love to see it from the other side. Yeah, fantastic. Well, hopefully you get to go out there again soon then. Yes, I hope so too. <laughs> fantastic. Okay, so that, yeah, that pretty much wraps up all of my questions. So do you have anything okay. else you wanted to talk about or any other questions you wanted to ask or anything? No, not really. It's been awesome chatting to you. I've really enjoyed our talk. I hope it's been 
of value to you and to your listeners and some entertainment as well. Absolutely. Um, but no, I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And where can all my viewers find you on social media or your website? Oh, yeah. OK, so the best place to probably find me is on Instagram um, under Sasha Starlight 79. Um, I'm actually going to be giving away a freebie for those that are interested on how to invest in property with less than £5,000 without owning um, your own property. So if anybody's interested, all you need to do is DM me um, on my Instagram page, Sasha Starlight 79, and just say Sasha Gift in the DM. Sasha and then I will get that over to two people that want it. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So as you just heard there, make sure that you follow Sasha at Sasha Starlight 79. Hopefully I've got that right. Yeah. And DM her <laughs> Sasha gift to get that freebie. I will obviously put all of these details down in the description as well for easy finding. Yeah, and all my most of my information is on Instagram anyway, um, with regards to where people can connect with me and how depending on um, how they want to connect. So yeah, it's all, it's all there. Okay, fantastic. So yeah, I'll make sure that's all in the, in the description as well. And yeah, thank you again so much for coming on today, Sasha. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast, The Google Podcast. So um, no, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. And if anybody watching has any questions for myself or Sasha, feel free to get in touch or of course, send us an email at theregalpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you for watching. I've been Jordan and I've been talking to Sasha. Thank you.